Well, hi everybody. Welcome to episode six of the Brothers in Arms podcast. I know you'll all have been uh, very worried about where we were. We've all been on our summer holidays. We're now back in action and uh, yeah, we're ready to go again. Today we've got Paul from Rebel City Podcast in the room. We've got Kieran from Brothers in Arms, myself, Gary Goldie, and our guest today is Gregor Anderson, um, a nomadic traveller. Uh, old friend of mine who's gonna who's joining us today to talk about community and uh, everything that comes under the banner of community and how that might affect our mental health. So uh, yeah, welcome on, Greg. Thank you for having me, guys. This is pretty special. We asked you on today, Greg, because from my point of view, you've uh, you know you've you've spent time in various different communities. You've travelled quite widely over the last few years and. You've spent time with uh, very specific, different types of communities, so hopefully we'll hear plenty about that uh, over the next wee while. We reckon that we've got loads to discuss in terms of community, but I think we agreed that we'd kind of start close to home and uh, how how we all, what our first experiences of community was and, and, and has been. We've got four boys from Glasgow in the room here, and whilst we all reckon we've got kind of similar backgrounds because we're from Glasgow, we've all got individual stories, you know, about community, that sort of stuff, and uh, we all we already got talking about sort of uh, the various young teams that we might have been aligned with, you know, <laughs> uh, and things like that, and of course, having grown up in Bears Den, I don't know how uh, how much clout the Court Hill young team can really no. hold in the, the no. grand scheme of Glasgow. I, I, but I, I'm, the, I'm the same. A, 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 a Jesuit private school boy. I don't think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, young team counts. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's there's then had its divisions. It was pretty wild for three weekends, maybe 2004. I think. <laughs> I think yeah. it was pretty. I think it was pretty crazy that week. That weekend. Yeah, that, that's it. I, I think, think I actually get the jail that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, but no, that's that's that that probably is our our first idea and and sense of belonging was that you know I'm from this area and now we call ourselves a team you know mm-hmm. and uh, how laughable it doesn't matter how laughable it is but it's it's that sense of a group of you and and, and the belonging and the I guess pack mentality that mm. comes with it mm-hmm. you know. Certainly my experience was, and I think I've spoken about this before uh, on the podcast, is I was kind of young in the, the sort of streets area that I grew up in. So for a while, for, for maybe a couple of years, two, three years, I was the I was the wee guy who got picked on because I was the kind of youngest of the group. And I feel like in the long term, actually, that wasn't bad for me. That was good for me. But for a period, because I was the younger one, I was, uh, you know, I would get picked on slagged off, you know, whatever it was, your mod's fat, whatever, blah, 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 that sort of stuff. You know, and, I, and there wasn't a lot that I felt I could kind of do about it at that point. But um, that was that first first sense, so... Your mod's fat, though. Well, you know, I let a wee, I let a wee scar open up, you know? I let a wee yeah, scar thanks, open thanks up there. And, uh, that, that was, you know, there was... There's stuff pointed at my 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 family, my mum, and I. Yeah. I didn't feel at the time I could do much about it. And at that point, as part of the community, probably I was feeling a bit sad. You know, I was definitely feeling a bit sad and uh, withdrawn and not valued. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was get. I, I was. Uh, you know, I was the runt of the group, I guess, because of my age. And uh, but I had to learn to live with that. And 
I felt like in the long term it was actually good for me because as I grew up and I started to hang out with people more my age, I'd been through a lot of the shit that you have to put up with as a wee guy growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I felt like it kind of stood me in a, a, a not bad stead, you know? I had a, I had a different experience because I grew up in East End and uh, it's a little known scheme called Carntine, but I always tell this story because it's a tiny wee scheme in between Shettleston, Cranhill and Black Hill. I got in a taxi in London and the guy was like, oh, you're from Glasgow. I grew up in Glasgow. Where are you from? He's like, Carntine. He was like, oh, fucking hell. Mm. And that is the perfect description for this place. We moved in. Loads of people, all cousins, like this sort of real incestuous Glasgow housing scheme. But my dad, he had a reputation and my cousins had a reputation and that sort of on the streets. I was expected to be a fighter and a stabber and it just wasn't who I was. Mm. I think this is quite a lot of guys of your generation kind of feel that, that there's there's this expectation of violence. And I gang fought and I I carried a knife for a very brief period of time. Thankfully, I got stopped with the police and they fucking found it and I got into trouble. And that was the end of that. Otherwise, I could Mm -hmm. have been a statistic. But um, I I didn't feel like connected to that whatsoever. I felt like when I was in that community that I was acting out of the person that I wanted to be. I was always quite into music and into art. And in the scheme, I just found nothing but real pain and mm. being forced yeah. to fight. Yeah. And even my dad forced me to fight with people when I had to walk away and I'd get but dragged man. out and you need to fight, you need to stick up for yourself, you know? Yeah, I, I can. I, I think I could bet that that's such a... I, I, I identify with that, you know? I got in a, a fair number of fights and when I look back at it, I didn't want to fight, but I felt I had mm-hmm. to fight people because of... Oh, you're Goldie, you know, you're like, oh, you're mad, oh, you're you that courthill boy, you know, and Greg, you grew up not far from me, but, you know, we've talked about before, like, you know, that was, you know, there was that sort of, you'd heard of somebody from the, the next scheme or area, and before you even knew them, you made these judgments, and I yeah. felt, because of the story I've just told, there was guys who were two or three older, two or three years older than me from... Drumchapel, who wanted to fight me as soon as I went into secondary school because they'd heard my name. And and I ended up getting in these fights I didn't want to. And I bet that's such a familiar story around Glasgow. Yeah. Young guys who thrust into violence, not because they... We've all seen hard men growing up around them, people that want to be whatever. But I bet that's such a familiar story where young guys who didn't necessarily want to were really... Pressure was on to prove yourself, to no be a, you know, no be a shite bag, you know, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I feel again, I got out of it. I got away from it fairly early. But I bet you that's, I bet you there'll be a lot of people in Glasgow who would go, I got in a lot of fights that I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to get in. Snowball effect as well, because one will lead to another. As you, you fight, you make you make more enemies, you're not, you're not making battles. That's fight, it. You know, it's, that's more that. and more enemies, it's going to keep going. Yeah, that's so. it. I mean, I remember starting secondary school and it was like, who's the top man in your primary school? And it was like the mm. five primary school's best fighters met in the gym hall. <laughs> and kind <laughs> of find out My who was God, the best fighter. Man. Honestly, it sounds like Gladiator or something, man, honestly. It it was organised amongst us, so at least it had some level of (laughs) organisation, I think. There's something admirable about that in in young boys. But I think I experienced the tail end of a community. I watched a community die. There was was no community. There was a 
community centre. But at that time, I mean, I was born in 83, so I'm sort of thinking about 1993. Heroin had absolutely ripped the soul out of the communities yeah. in East End yeah. of Glasgow. The work had gone. Uh, my first sort of memories are guys on a couch drinking on a sunny day. And yeah. I think that I didn't see the community that was there, mm-hmm. that, that had previously been there. I, I literally witnessed the destruction of the community and, and that that kind of what happened for me in the sort of gang fighting. And even that's gone, you know, like the, that was the last sort of remnants of it. The community yeah. centre in Calm Town's no longer there. Yeah. And it's like you were saying off mic, it's became this sort of bland, beige, nothing. Um, yeah. and, and I don't even know if there is any community left. Um, the community centre was still there when I was young and there were volunteers. And there was also, I remember in, in the tenements, there was a woman that would go to the cash and carry and she had a sort of unofficial shop in her house and mm-hmm. she would give cheap food to people. And I suppose that might be the early versions of what we call food banks nowadays. Yeah, absolutely, but yeah, man. That was the last remnants of that community. They were all older and the young people that I see now they're not part of anything. They live very on their own in, you know, prefabricated houses. They don't know their neighbours. They don't want to know their neighbours. And and yeah. I think that the good parts of the housing scheme in the communities were that you knew your neighbour. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as much as where my mind went there was the old guy next door get broke into and my dad was like, well, I'll find out who did it. And mm-hmm. that was still a bit of a community. Aye, of course. Now, if, I think if you get broke into... Next door neighbour wouldn't want to know. Aye. Aye. You know. Put your head down, yeah. look the other way, walk the other way. And it's that, you know, I can't pretend to speak from any first-hand experience, but looking around, speaking to people, the hardest up areas in Glasgow seem to just be exactly as you describe. You know, just nobody wants to know, nobody wants to be where they are, and nobody, you know, when... Like you say, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, Jamie uh, Allen, our friend from Brothers in Arms, he was a beat cop during the 70s and 80s. And he, what he mentioned when we were discussing this podcast was, you know, when he arrived as a beat cop in the 70s, there were focal points for the community. You know, there were community gardens um, that people would contribute to. People would have wee allotments, you know. Mm. So there might not have been a lot of money around, but there was still things that people could go and get involved with that would give you a role within the community. And therefore, the thing that we always come back to, a purpose, mm. a purpose mm. for being in that community. Now, you know, this the, the, the only purpose that people have to be in these places is to sleep, to live. And then they, they have to travel outside of that area for work to either go to the city centre or wherever. There aren't jobs within those communities now, you know. Um, and that that I think that's part of what's playing on the men the the mental toll for people in in, in re, you know some of Glasgow's most poverty you know ridden places is there, there's no focal point and of course you're going to feel lost and detached and all these hard feelings that make you spiral into what becomes depression and then possibly worse you know mm-hmm. well well what what actually is community you know it's community's connection and it's your first potentially your community that you're born into it's your first taste of connection mm-hmm. um and it's just beautiful it just came to me now as we're talking about it i think the my first memory of community or lack of was 
in school. So first primary one, <clears throat> the kids before me had been to nursery. So they all knew each other. And I remember my first day at school and they're all they're all mates already. And I'm going, what? I don't know anybody. What the hell is this? Yeah. Because my, my parents didn't know. We just moved to the area for the school. Uh-huh. And I think potentially we've got these friends in common, actually. Yeah. I think potentially they'd been there before us. So they, they, they'd found out that there was a community nursery. This, <clears throat> this sort of course of events that leads to healthy, healthy juvenile growth. And so I, so I ended up not experiencing that and wondering what the hell was going on. Yeah. And it took, so it took me about a year, I would say, that first primary one to catch up with those sort of the fundamental or formative experiences of making friends, making connections. And um, and I wonder if that then, well, it does have an impact. It does have an impact on a psyche growing up. But then for me growing into my adolescence and finding that there was a gang even though we're in beers then. Finding out that there was a gang and like, similar to Gary's story, they were older than me. Uh, and we were part, of, you know, we were the same people, the same school, but I, I just jumped in and I absolutely adored that uh, sense of something. And even though there was an element of me being bullied in that scene. Uh, yeah. But I just loved being part of something. It didn't matter that it was detrimental to my health and each, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. each interaction. Yeah. I, was, I was like, you're a you're this, you're that. And I was like, shit, but it's still epic. I'm still part of something. So it was yeah. counterintuitive. So, yeah, I, I, I really connect with that because as much as I, and I suppose this is just part of who I am, my mind always goes back to don't be like that, you know, don't mm. be violent. So always when I think back, I absolutely loved hanging about with my mates and I loved getting a bevy and I, and I, I loved that, you know, You'd your uniform, you'd your bergos and your tracksuit and your hat. <laughs> and everybody kind of looked the same. And the first I've question that everyone was the uniform. I'm sitting here right now, and, and you know, I've, I've recently just started wearing skip pats again, and, and deliberately because I'm trying to not just reject everything about my youth and try yeah. and connect with it a wee bit and get back to who I, who I was mm -hmm. yeah. to try and sort of find myself as an adult. But the the first question you asked somebody was, where you fae? If you exactly. didn't know who they were, it's like, where you fae? Yeah. And, and like you're saying, you almost had each other's backs and you knew each other. And so I really, that really resonates with me that mm. I did have a community as much as yeah. I didn't like some of the stuff that I got up to. I loved the majority of it. You know? Yeah. I think that's true for all of us. But even right now, I'm just seeing there's a whole, there is a whole subculture within Glasgow around about, what community you identify with because mm. you know we've got language my, my wife's a teacher and she's been teaching in barhead for a number of years and you know a piece of the vocabulary there is this saying scheme hopper oh miss he's a pure scheme hopper now it means that this person doesn't actually come from the area but he hangs about with somebody who doesn't happen to live close to him and it's like how is that <laughs> even how's that even come into language you know, because we 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 are because it's, it's becomes so important to a young man from yeah. from Glasgow to be part of something, and it might not be their pals from the the streets near them. It might be pals that you know they might have moved area, yeah. and they get labelled a scheme hopper. There's, <laughs> there's something there's something obviously within the fabric of Glaswegian working class culture, but you you guys have probably Wikipedia this as well, but. There's more gangs in Glasgow than there are in the whole of London, according to Wikipedia. And I, that shows you, you know, it's just each street 
it's got their little jam, their little thing together. And yeah, that's what we're craving for. Now, whether that we can draw that to social politics. Mm-hmm. That craving's actually, you know, like one of the biggest books of last year was a book called The Young Team, a guy called mm-hmm. Graham Armstrong, he's for Airdrie. And people are reading this and, and it's almost this nostalgic sort of throwback. And uh-huh. I think that when you talk about the community hubs, like the pub, people used to graduate from the gang to the building site, to the pub. Yeah. And now they go into the gang and then there's no building site for them and then there's no pub yeah. in the, commu- in the yeah. community. We said off mic yeah. as well, man, you know, these community pubs that existed, you know, just just don't now. You know, they, re- they, they really don't. Uh, or, 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 or many of them have disappeared. You know, places might have one... One one pub left over, whatever you know, but so many, you know that that is. I was watching a thing with Tom Kerridge um, about you know saving the British pub and the community needs to come together to save save these institutions, the pubs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually actually on the program there was um, the community of Gartmore, which is like Stirling, uh, Stirlingshire. And they actually, their pub was about to close and the community, 240 people from the community chipped in and bought the pub outright. Um, And it's now like, it's one of the only pubs in the UK that's run by committee and owned by the community because they seen it was so important for the people that live there to have somewhere to congregate and and go. Uh, And, and, you know, they, they talked on the program about that hopefully becoming a blueprint for, you know, communities to, to work by. Um, but where does the responsibility lie to save these community hubs? Is it purely with the people that live in that area? Is it with government? Is it, you know, is it a bit of both? It's a big question. I think the importance of that is now missed in modern politics. They don't really value much about the community, especially the current sort of crop of politicians that we've seen since the sort of mid-90s. I think people coming together in a community is almost like a dangerous idea. Like well, group think is like mm, you shouldn't really do that. It's about the individual, um, and I think like my opinion on the question you just asked is, is a mix of both. I think there needs to be an appetite within the community to have these services, and then really the money needs to come for the government because nobody, yeah. especially when we're talking about where we live. I mean, it's okay. I think if you live. In an affluent area, and maybe you know, I know there's that somewhere in Glasgow where they chip together and get like a dry ski slope. Now you, you might be like, "Fucking hell, man! They must have a lot of money to do that." But that is a community project, yeah. and kids yeah. will go there, mm-hmm. and yeah. it gets them off the street. Yeah. But if you go into these other areas that we're talking about, they don't have that resource to chip together and, and build a football pitch. Or, yeah. And when you consider the amount of money now it costs to hire a football pitch, I, think I got, but of course Gordon Smith was in, and we were talking about the fact that these construction companies now or building companies now own the football pitches that they build a thirty-foot high fence, and you can't play football. Whenever and that rips, you know, it's all these small things that contribute to the community. I think we've agreed that you know a lot of the, what is considered to be good for the community has been disappeared for one reason or another. Um, but there's there's one project in particular uh, which was called the Kelvindale Meadow, and it was just old derelict football pitches and a group of people nearby. Say it, it was marked for you know um, construction, and the group of people nearby have said, um, 
no, we don't want flats to be built here. We use this as community ground for our children. We exercise there. We grow food there, whatever. And this is, I think it's about 15, 15 years uh, progress that they've made to get to the point that they are now. Um, and they've got, as I say, you know, it's a community space. It's run by the community. It's been signed from the government over to the community. They're fully responsible for it. The Queen just recently visited the Kelvindale Meadow and um, they're, they're building that real sense of community and everybody works for the good of this space because all our children get to uh, benefit from it and stuff. And, you know, you've got a, a fantastic group, the G20 um, Youth Festival, G20 Youth Club, um, who, who use the Kelvindale Meadow. And it's bringing some, some kids from Mary Hill who don't have male role models around, who don't have a lot of money, you know, who are what we would say living in a multi-deprivation area mm -hmm. and uh, they're doing really really good work there so it's like that's a blueprint and they're now trying to replicate that down the road from near from where i've been living the last seven years it's called still game for the valley and again it's just a community it's, it's an open space of grass where we're just going to sell it off for flats and now they've said no we want to have the community work on this space grow veg exercise let their children play things like that it's already gathering momentum. And um, I feel like to keep some positivity, we have to really like shout about those ideas and go, well, it, there are people out there going, we want stuff for our community to do. Yeah, There are people in these multi-deprivation communities that do care, that do want stuff for their kids, that do want a better life. You know, this idea of writing off people because they live in a poorer area or a scheme or whatever, it's just... It's, it's it's absolutely wrong, you know. And um, whilst we, we we've agreed that you know the, these these projects are out there and hopefully they can be replicated. You know, the blueprint of that Kelvindale Meadow is being used another mile up the road for another green space to be saved from just private flats being built on it. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, nice to hear. but people want to get involved with it. You know, I know you talked about walking down Greg and getting involved with it. I've been involved with G20 charity over lockdown and things like that. And th they are a, they are a community hub where a group of people from the community have taken a space and during lockdown, they were doing um, food parcels, delivering food parcels to the community, all that sort of stuff. So it's not dead in the water, man, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really, to have only two two to mind to talk about is is yeah. not where we should be. That's it. There used to be hundreds, multiple hundreds of community centres throughout Glasgow, and, and and they just they don't exist anymore. If you want, I think if you wanted that type of environment for your kids, you'd need to pay hand over fist for it. And I think that that is which really is entirely the, wrong. Isn't the paywall it? is what sort of holds people back, um, and also I think even sometimes people like the G Twenty Youth Group. Or people that are like, no, we don't want that to become a business in a set of flats. They're almost seen as like troublemakers and oh, I you know yeah. that that um, community group still game for the valley. They had um, a meeting with Glasgow City Council and uh, they, they they outlined their plans and whatever, and they were just shot down, you know, in the first instance. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like we are better than you. We are bigger than you. We know better than you. You know, that, that none of these ideas could work. Nobody's interested in doing that. And that's where that disconnect from local council, local government to the, their actual community is 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 missing, you know. I'm um, being I'm being called to to live in the south side. I'm being called to live in 
um, Govan Hill, Strathbungo. But there's there's a lot there's lots happening there. I don't know if you guys are familiar with with any of the movements and initiatives starting in the south side. But it's the same the cycle charity. Um, I forget the name you mentioned it just before. They've got their base there. Mm-hmm. Um, or the freewheel. Yeah, Victoria Road. You know, it's you, yeah. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't I didn't know what it what it would have been like to be to, to be walking on Victoria Road a few years ago and just now it's there seems yeah there's there's a lot of cool stuff happening there's a it's repair changed, massive, massive there's a repair centre where they encourage you to bring stuff to get it repaired. Don't mm-hmm. buy it new. My mum's about to take an iron up there to get an iron fix. You know it's only like six months old. That's small mm-hmm. but that's yep. creating this cognitive loop where we're now going right we can the community can we can turn it to the community for the answers instead of uh, where do we look now? We jump online or we jump. So what the point in that is, it's bringing us back to what I spoke about before, the essence of community, the connection. And it you is. could say now that with, with our internets, our internets, I sound like my grand, <laughs> internets, <laughs> with our phones. Yeah, I'll just take it back to community and back to personal, like a personal experience of how community is and how that is impacting my mental health as I've came back to Glasgow after a few years away. And I don't have the immediate connection right now, even though, even though I do, but the level of connection that I just came from, and so I noticed that I'm on my phone. I got the I got the average, and it was like six hours a day. That's and I'm a photographer, and I use Instagram and stuff. But a lot of the time, I'm just I'm just reaching out to people, and I'm sending voice notes, and I find that really cathartic actually to send voice notes and and hear how I come across, and then listen to a reply, and I, I love that. But what's it replicating, and what's it what's it saying that I'm not having? And that is that is face to face contact mm-hmm. that makes me the, the the best version of myself. And so that's the sort of social the the personnel uh, psychology behind why we need community. I think mm-hmm. when you say called to love, what do you mean? I just just well using the internet researching and I'm seeing that I'm seeing that there's I'm seeing that there's there's the stuff happening there there's initiative there is there is difference so I guess I think multiculture I is it like there's a lot of grassroots things there's happening grassroots. that that are based in the community that 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 that's, that have the potential to grow yeah um but I you know ultimately what I think what's happening there is that obviously there's affordable housing there mm. and people are moving to that area where there's affordable housing but it doesn't mean but they're moving there to that affordable place but with lots of skill set yep. and so they're then offering that skill set within a place that is in you know brackets and very commas whatever affordable you know place that somebody wouldn't have lived five years ago ten years ago but they're now moving into that area and they're bringing a skill set with them and it seems like an exciting place for you to be. I mean, that that, that sounds like our heritage is, you know, that's what the tribes were like, where you were part of something bigger and you brung your skill set, whatever that skill set mm. may be. Um, I feel like the way the Western world has just narrowed its gaze on these very specific sets of skills that make money mm. instead of things that actually have value and we're forgetting these things that, you know, if somebody can speak very well and, and can connect with people, it's almost kind of like, well, and what? You know, like yeah. how yeah. much money can human you make skills, from that? Human skills are being devalued. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that, again, again, like, you know, I don't want to paint the big bad picture of some behind-the-curtain forces pulling us away from actually being able to connect with each other, but it's devaluing actually human beings being in a group, speaking, connecting, and then coming up with, yeah. a, with, with whatever that may be, whether it's an idea, whether it's a venue, whether it's an event, whether it's, you know, something that serves local children, uh, something that feeds local older people. Mm -hmm. um, it's been devalued, you know, and it's like we, we, we're now getting wrapped, our, our identities are getting wrapped up, especially in the Western world, our, our identities are getting wrapped up in, well, what's your job? And the minute, like, so it's like, you know, your value when you were younger, where you fit. Yeah, you know, and how, that, how good a fighter are you? And that, <laughs> that was your value. And now we're getting to this point where it's like, so what's your job? What do you do for yeah. money? Mm -hmm. And based on what you tell me is the level of respect that I'm going to give to you, which is just bullshit. You know, it's, it's, it's rubbish. And to have a cohesive community, we have to get past that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're meeting the, we're, we're almost coming to the sort of tip of the iceberg with it where people are starting to wake up and realise that money won't make you happy and, and a house won't make you happy and trying to fix things that are internal, like your emotions with things that are outside doesn't really work. And I think that the key word that I've heard in the past half hour is connection. Mm. And we seem to lack a connection. And um, I'd be interested to hear what you think about the way that you know, online has been kind of, that's not real community. And I think that there's there's groups of people that have found real community on the internet. People, LGBTQ plus people who mm. would have felt like a single person and nobody's like me, mm -hmm. but then they go on the internet and they find millions of people that are the yep. same as them. Um, and, you know, I think guys as well that can go on and speak to people and be like, I don't really fit into this sort of pigeonhole that exists mm -hmm. in yeah. the society that I've been born into and yeah. people find real connection and um, I'd be interested to hear how you feel about that because I had a conversation with a mate's stepson who was basically saying you know my mum just says to me you do nothing but spend time in that playstation and it's wasting your brain you need to get out you need to make real friends and he's like my real friends exist mm. on the playstation Aye. she just yeah. can't see that uh -huh. it's a really hard one isn't it I was just on holiday and I met a guy in the hotel and he had an autistic son. And uh, the, the whole reason for his trip was that his autistic son, who was 14, doesn't have any local friends, doesn't have any group of friends, whatever. It was his first time getting together with his gamer pals and they all met mm. just outside London. And he's like, I never ever foreseen that my autistic son would get together with a group of friends and have conversation yes, and laugh cool. and joke and everything like that. And he was like, this is a eureka moment for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're absolutely right. We have to try to have a level of understanding that actually there is tangible stuff happening on these games that people are in, you know, um, these chat rooms that people uh, find themselves in and whatever. So we can't discount it. But ultimately, he was so happy about his son having the human connection, the face-to-face yeah. -face connection. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know... It's I a hard I, balance, isn't it? Because you need to find that balance because we are pack animals and we need face-to-face. -face. I mean, you are so right. Like, if you don't have face-to-face -face contact, so many people 
are just getting sick of Zoom. And mm-hmm. there's so yeah. many things that you don't pick up on when you're over the internet with somebody and so many key sort of connections that we get by being in a room with people. Um, yeah. So I think the balance is striking a, a balance, you know, and, and I think that, you know, earlier on was talking about sort of like the pursuit of money and I'm no some mad socialist and being like, you know, tear the government down and set, you know, get the guillotine out and yeah. you know, like that type of thing. But I think that the balance is tipped in the wrong direction and it's just yeah. about finding that balance. It's yeah. not about destroying what we've built and trying to build it again with another sort of, basic economic sort of model it's about actually going what can we learn from what we're experiencing yeah. and how do we balance that uh-huh. you know? I, I feel like we us guys in this age group which is let's just say 25 to 40 we we grew up we were the we we are the last group to grow up without the internet so we you know like mm. we've like my children will never have to go and chap their pal's door to find out if they're in and see yeah. where they're at. You know, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And we're yeah. all smiling here. Yeah. We're all literally smiling in the room. Yeah. Um, so we we did have to spend a year practicing, making connection, getting to know friends, um, knowing how to interact, how to be within a group and all that. But we now also are probably quite, we were on our phones a lot. You know, you've mentioned six hours. Uh, you know, my wife's kind of always saying to me, let me see your phone. How many hours you've been online for this year? You know, so we do. Are we the, are we the ones that have got our cake and eating it? Because let's just say somebody who was born in the millennium, you know, who could be graduating university this year. If you're if you're a smart cookie in school and you're maybe not part of the in crowd, popular crowd, whatever, you could potentially have gone through your life and only have had yeah meaningful connection yeah. online in mm-hmm. chat rooms on the PlayStation, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Where do we, where are, where do guys like us or where do our age group stand? I mean, I suppose we won't really know the impact of until, is this about the time you would know the impact of kids, how are kids now that have grown up with? Are they, I think it's is, evident. Like, well, let, let me ask a simpler question. What is more valid? Me growing up and knowing Greg from my street and becoming pals with Greg and growing and saying that Greg's my best pal or meeting somebody online at a young age building a friendship with them and saying, oh, that's my best pal. Although I've never, although they may not have physically been together very often or ever. Mm-hmm. What, what, who has, what, what is more valid? They're, they're, sure, they're surely both equally mm. as valid. I think there was, a, there was quite a touching video on, I think it was one of those like, lad Bible or whatever, one of those ones on Instagram of um, two guys in America who lived the opposite ends of America. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, maybe in their 40s, and they'd met on the Xbox 16 years previous. Mm, yeah. And this was them filming them meeting for the first time. And the two guys meet each other and, like, do you know what I mean? Embrace a massive yeah. big hug. And ah, they, yeah. they spend and a, a weekend together, like, just out doing, yeah. a, like, and best of pals, you know what I mean? They're both yeah. in tears yeah. when they meet each uh-huh. other. And well, that was what the, almost what this guy was like, thing. who had his autistic son. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't believe my son's hanging about with a group of his pals, chatting, laughing, doing what a wee guy, a, a young boy should be doing. Yeah. He's like, I, I've, he doesn't have this at home. He doesn't really converse with people at home. He doesn't have a group of friends at home. And for him, for a father to see that in his son, his son was like 15 years old, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's like, wow, you know, that that's a really moving thing oh, to yeah. see. Oh yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It was, it, was, it was really touching to see that, that video of the... the uh-huh. Yeah, the, it's, like, it's it pretty much a copy of that story. So their, their, their friendship story. would be no, 
less valid than any other friendship. I suppose absolutely not. Um, and and if you're saying that's that um, gaming and online has opened the door for that young autistic kid, I mean that's that's fantastic. Who can absolutely? Um, yeah. yeah, it's just did we say? I think society would say that the relationship that exists online, only online is less valid than one that is actually, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I think Probably from society our at large pro- would kind of yeah. tell that story. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I, from our generation and up, probably certainly would. I'll give another example. When I was in college, when I'd just left school and when I was kind of early, you know, like 18 to 23, 25, it was still, you would still probably get slagged in some way if you met a girl just online and then went to meet her or became she became your girlfriend it's like oh you can't get a bird in real life so you need to go on the internet (laughs) now we're at a point where it's actually weird to like if you I think you probably get arrested nowadays if you go and say hi to a girl in a bar I think the idea still exists the amount of people that will say you know I met my girlfriend on Tinder but we don't tell people that I think that prevailing stigma of meeting people online and then going is still kind of thought of as weird mm-hmm. but maybe in a sort of subconscious way because you're right there is no other way really to meet people well like, as i say you know like it, i think we'll get to a point where if you approach somebody in a pub or a club that will be seen as weird. i think that we're know? already there i think we're already there i remember a couple of years ago we were at ibrooks <laughs> and uh we got talking to these two girls my, my mate and i that i was at the match with and uh we're talking to these two girls and then she's seen I had a wedding ring, you know, and then she's like, you married? And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. She's like, why are you talking to us then? And I was like, we're just at a match, just chatting to you, making general chit-chat. She's like, guys don't talk to me unless they're trying to fire into me. And I was like, you know, that's ingrained, you know, like a, a man's not going to chat to me or, yeah. or have conversation unless they want something, you know? And it's, it's like that, that to me feels wrong. That to me feels very messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think we'll get to a point where in school they're going to need to teach sort of social skills and soft <laughs> skills? And, because we're seeing quite a lot, just, like yeah. to go back to what Kieran's saying, is there any studies? I, I don't know, I'm sure that we could find them, but there's definite evidence like social anxiety is at an all time high, of course, mm. suicides at an all time high, mental health issues are at an all time high. And I think that these are because of this sort of lack of connection and actually. I get a lot of hope if I hear about an autistic kid because, you know, autism's really a behavioural sort of disorder and it usually sort of comes out in the way that they don't speak to anybody. They mm-hmm. go within. Mm-hmm. And to hear about a sort of 15, like, sort of mid-teenager that's going and meeting his mates in London and, and can talk to them and, and sort of have some sort of normality, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got a nephew that's probably mildly autistic uh-huh. um, and he can connect with his mates on Fortnite like that uh-huh. with, with my sister and my brother-in-law. It's, there, there's, uh-huh. His yeah. autism really gets in yeah. the way. And yeah. it's, it's, it, yeah. it, it kind of feels like it's that behind a curtain type thing, behind a character, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I can be who I want to be because I'm behind a screen or behind a character and it, I'm less inhibited, mm-hmm. you know? And I pick up on, I, I think I'm less in my own head because... I don't think people are looking at me and judging how awkward I look or how awkward I seem or those sorts of things. So all those social cues that you might look for, you don't have to worry about them when you're online or when you're speaking live 
online mm. behind a character behind a game whatever mm. we were given we brothers in arms were donated a, a, a bunch of books by a guy who wrote about his experience in gaming and how it was a really positive experience for him so and it helped Joseph him Donnelly. deal with that, that his uh, whilst i haven't read the book in depth it, the, the general sort of story is you know that he had a tough time and actually felt that gaming was a great outlet for it rather than and, and he wanted to shine a light on that rather than this idea of oh well these kids they're spending so long on gaming and whatever they're never going to be able to function in the world mm-hmm. actually sometimes because then it's separate from the actual gaming mm-hmm. isn't it the gaming might 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 um might pro- pro- provide some sort of in- intelligence or intellectual skill but it's just the connection and so yeah. potentially we didn't even get to experience that if we we're playing games we didn't have online we didn't really have online, I don't think, when we no, were No, we no way, no way. I mean, I, okay, MSN, so we didn't. But, you know, um, that was, you know, MSN yeah. was very much only people from your school, really. Mm. Yeah, was I think not? Yeah. Joseph tells a story in that book that I read an extract online about how he learnt about suicide. He had a family member that committed suicide right. and he played a game that was like a sort of role-play game and in the game, the guy was suicidal. And I'm pretty wow. sure that I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that he said that he got a deeper understanding of his uncle committing suicide by this game explaining how mm. the emotions were going through. And yeah. I think that's really powerful. And I think I've mentioned this before in our podcast, and I think I get a laugh that the scene in the Avengers movie where Robert Downey Jr.'s character is revisiting the last moment with his dad, mm. and it's like a sort of three-dimensional sort of hologram that he gets to watch it and mm. you get to see it for what it is. And I, I genuinely think that that is the way tech should be being used mm-hmm. and not just to extract as much wealth out of people as possible yeah. through the sort of gambling, the way that FIFA and, and uh, yeah. Call of Duty and that have basically became gambling apps. But it's huh. like, if you pay 30 quid, buy a box, you might get something good, but you might get something shy. And it's kind of yeah. like, that's just gambling. Like, is, yeah. that what, is that what that is? That what that happens now? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like uh, packs. You buy packs of players on FIFA, mm-hmm. and if you you pay, I, I mean, I don't play FIFA, so people might be like thirty quid. What are you talking about? It's like a fiver, but still, You're a pro you a might fan. get nothing. <laughs> no, I just don't game. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. I, I did love it at one point, but you're teaching people how to gamble with these technologies and mm. even through social media if we're talking about the way that people interconnect now well they're being sold to off the back of that they're yeah. basically going well here's a way for you to speak to your community but there's going to be all these adverts that you need right. to navigate yeah, and we're going course. to actually use psychologists and all of the information that you feed into this so that we can actually do it in a way that you don't even understand that we're selling to you and so mm. yeah i think that we are really good at just going it's Social media's problem, take the phone out of the hand, don't give an iPad to your kid, but actually it's not the technology's fault, it's the way that we as humans use it and Aye. manipulate it against yeah. people. And, yeah. and um, I think that that's what we need to learn from instead of just going, let's go back to the, the, the 90s. We didn't have suicide, all this suicide happening in the 90s, or we didn't have all these mental health issues when I was younger, so we should hark back to something more primitive and it's kind of like, yeah. I don't know if that will ever happen. So yeah. we need to find it functional yeah. in the modern world and how we do that I don't, i'm not smart enough Aye. To, to yeah it's always going to be an open-ended question i think you're right enough 